This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. As we begin this series on Bible prophecy, I want to say right at the beginning of this message, as an introduction to this series, that I know that when we discuss Bible prophecy, we somewhat have it fixed in our minds and we want to go straight to the juggler source so to speak, of what we're talking about, the Antichrist, the Mark of the Beast, 666, and all that. We will get to some of that stuff, but it will not be in today's message. Because I firmly believe that in order for us to properly understand what is happening in the world today, what is going to happen, and what has happened, we have to go back to the beginning of its foundation. And that's imperative to understand. And so I would encourage you today that you have something to write with and that you take a number of notes because we're going to be talking about some things and unfortunately because of the time frame that we're working in today, I do not have a lot of time to wait and linger and so we're going to be going from one scripture to another. So that's why it's good to write this down because if you happen to miss the reading of the scripture, you would have at least wrote the reference down and you can go back and reread it again. Today we're going to be talking about Israel and Bible prophecy. Now I want to ask you to do something real quick here because in just a moment I'm going to go to an Old Testament book, the book of Zechariah. And so I'd like for you to pre-mark that now. That'll save us a little bit of time when we get into the message. But if you would write down Zechariah chapter 12, it's not the verse that we're going to start with, but we are going to be looking at a lot of Old Testament scriptures Because these are the scriptures that speak of the prophecies that have been fulfilled already and then those yet to come. And so if you've marked your Bible in Zechariah, it will save just a fraction of a second. And I think that would be profitable to you this morning as we're going to be turning to many, many of them. But for the reading and reverence of God's word, I'd like for you to turn with me, if you will, to the gospel of Matthew. And I'm going to be reading in chapter 24. And we have to understand the significance of the scriptures that I'm going to read for you. Some of them imply the tribulation and some of them have to deal around the revelation. Some of them are just common sense scriptures to take heed and note of the prominent things that are facing you and I as believers in this world today. But I'm going to be begin reading in Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 1 in just a minute. The things that you're going to hear this morning, I can assure you that they're probably, when you think about Bible prophecy, they're probably not issues that you have in mind. But today and next Sunday, you will probably say, this is not what I'm familiar with when I hear the word or term prophecy. But if you stay with me and you write these things down, you cannot help but to leave here today saying, I have learned something that I've never known before. And that's something that I've prayed about personally this year, that God would help me to see some things this year that I've never seen, that he would help me to know some things that I've never known, that he would help me to understand some things that I've never understood, and that he would help me to do some things that I have never done. And so those are my goals for this year. These two sermons, I can promise you that there will probably be more people than not who will leave here today saying that I never knew that was in the Bible. 
And if you have learned something today, then our time has not been in vain. Now I want you to notice with me in Matthew chapter 24, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See, ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when these things be. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world or the end of the age? You see, right now we're living in the age of grace, the day of grace. And this is what the disciples were in reference to. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Right now, today, in the United States of America, there are over 300 people who claim to be Jesus Christ. Jesus said one of the things that we needed to take note of, that right before he returned, many would say, I am the Christ. David Koresh, Jim Jones, Sung Young Moon, and a host of many others right here in America have professed to be Jesus incarnate. Now listen, the word says in verse 6, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Now notice verse 8 very carefully. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Well, what does the word have to say about Bible prophecy? We're going to be starting today, God willing. I want to tell you two simple things about prophecy from the very beginning, and that is this. Prophecy, God uses prophecy to prove he is who he said he is. Now, you need to remember that God uses prophecy to prove that he is who he says he is and to authenticate that all of the warnings and all of the promises in this Bible is true. So those are perhaps the two cornerstones that you need to remember when we're talking about prophecy, that God uses it to prove he is who he says he is, and God uses prophecy to authenticate every promise in the Bible. And so I want you to be thinking about that. This morning, you're going to be turning from one scripture to another. And we're going to go on a fast pace. And perhaps some of you today will be reading scripture that you've never read before. And so I encourage you to please take some good notes. Israel and Bible prophecy. The land of Palestine is by far and has been the most controversial place on the planet. I want you to understand that. Never in one place has there ever been any greater conflict than what has already preexisted and what exists now. 
And it's not going to get any better until Jesus Christ himself returns. That in itself is indeed a Bible prophecy. Now just a few minutes ago, I asked you to mark Zechariah in your Bible. And I want you to notice verse or chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse number 2 and 3. I want you to understand the significance of this scripture and what I have just said to you, that there has never been a greater place on this planet where there has been so much controversy and trouble. But I want you to understand that that did not just happen. Everything that has been fulfilled in Bible prophecy so far and everything that's taking place right now before your very eyes was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Zechariah chapter 12, verse number 20, or verse number 2 and 3. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling under all the people round about. When they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Now we need to understand that today Jerusalem is indeed a cup of trembling. And also today Jerusalem is a burdensome stone. You see, any second you turn on the television today, you can hear something in the news about the pandemonium that's going on in Jerusalem. And this morning, in the first sermon of the signs of the times and Bible prophecies, we need to begin by taking a very careful and close look at Israel, Israel itself in Bible prophecy. Now listen very carefully. You're going to learn something today that perhaps you did not know before. This is very important. Israel today, as far as a geographical, as far as a land is concerned, Israel today is a total of 8,000 square miles. Now try to size this up in your mind if you can. This country... Israel could fit in the state of Florida eight different times. Think about it. The whole country from north to south is only 263 miles. Between 9 and 71 miles east and west. Now listen to this. Israel is just a little bit smaller than the state of New Jersey. A nation. The country of Israel could fit in Florida eight times and slightly smaller than the state of New Jersey. This is the Holy Land. This is the land of Jesus. I want you to think about that just for a minute. 
Don't lose me. After 1,900 years, as living as refugees around the world, in 1948, Israel was restored to her homeland. But I can assure you, friend, it was not without great and ongoing controversy. And with the most recent controversy going on in the Gaza Strip in the south, and now today as well, with Hezbollah bombarding them from the north towards out of Lebanon. And so Israel is taking on a front in the north and in the south. And I want you to understand this, that this, what has happened in the land and what is happening today was foretold by the prophets. I want you to understand that in our lifetime, we have lived to see one of the greatest fulfillments of Bible prophecies. Something that the prophets of old said that would happen, you and I, those of you that were living in 1948, have lived to see the fulfillment of this staggering prophecy. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 66, and I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, the significance of what I'm saying emerges from verse number 8. The prophecy of Israel becoming a nation. Now here's the significance of this prophecy. 740 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah the prophet spoke these words, and they're words of great significance. I want you to understand. Now look at them very carefully here. Who hath heard such a thing? Isaiah 66, verse number 8. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation... Be born at once, for as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. I want you to understand that the prophet Isaiah, 740 years before the birth of Christ, prophesied that Israel would be born as a nation in one day. And in 1948, God made good on his promise by restoring Israel back to the promised land. Think about it just for a moment. After all of the hostilities, after all of the aggression, all of the wars, all of the persecutions, after the endless and fruitless debates, after all of the broken peace treaties, listen very carefully. The existence of Israel today is the number one evidence of all of the facts that Bible prophecy will be literally fulfilled. It's the number one evidence that is before us today. Now listen, there are and has been a lot of prophecies already fulfilled out of the past of Scripture. For example, Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, deals with the very first instance where we have the promise of a kinsman redeemer, the prophes, uh, prophesied Messiah. Genesis three fifteen, And truly, Jesus came. Now listen to this. Again, 
750 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah the prophet said this, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Friend, let me tell you this. Isaiah said that Mary would be a virgin. She would conceive a son supernatural by the Holy Ghost. And I want you to know 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem of Judea, that prophecy was fulfilled, which was spoken 750 years before the birth of Christ. But not only that, Isaiah would go on to say that not only would the Messiah be virgin born, But he went on to prophesy 750 years before his birth. In Isaiah chapter 53, he would go on to say in his prophecy, and not only would he be born, but he was born to die because he would be wounded. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So you can go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible and understand that we do have a prophecy of a coming kinsman redeemer, that we do have a prophecy about the Son of God being born as as being born unto a virgin, and then we have the prophecy of his death. Now listen very carefully. All of those prophecies came to pass, but I want you to understand, just as the old prophecies have all come to pass and been fulfilled? Listen, there are some whom the prophets have prophesied that are yet to be fulfilled. The future prophecies will literally be fulfilled just as the old ones were. According to Bible prophecy, Israel's rebirth as a nation, listen carefully, sets in motion the rest of all of the other yet future prophecies to be fulfilled. And I believe in order to understand the significance of May the 14th, 1948 and what is happening today and what is prophesied to happen soon, we have to go all the way back to Genesis. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis, if you will, chapter 12. And I want you to see something very, very important. In Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look at verse number 1 through 3. And while you're turning, I want you to know that in the book of beginnings, in the book of Genesis, 11 chapters deal with creation. It deals with the fall of man. It deals with human history unto Abraham. And then the rest of the book, 41 chapters, deals with Abraham and his descendants. I want you to notice with me Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. In in that passage of Scripture, we find God promising Abraham three things. One, that he would be blessed. Two, that his name would be great. And number three, that he would be, and his family as well, would be a blessing to all of the other families on the face of the earth. 
Those blessings would include the written word of God, it would include the living word of God, and it would also include that he would, God would bless Abraham. Listen, God said that he would bless them who blessed thee, and he would curse those who cursed them. Now listen carefully. Because of that, God said, look, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. I think this morning, because of those words from God himself, that it would be in the best interest of everyone not to oppose the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. In Psalms chapter 122, verse number 6, the Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. So that's very important. Now listen carefully. The Jewish people are indeed God's chosen people. We all need to acknowledge this. Now I know that America was born and birthed on some great foundations. All the way back to the beginning of America's history. It can be traced down to those who truly wanted religious freedoms. Those who were truly seeking to worship God. And so going all the way back to the birth and the foundation of America, there are significant liberties that we enjoy today because of our Christian heritage. But I want you to know that God's blessings on America does not solely exist on pilgrims coming to Plymouth Rock. That in part, listen, I think we need to acknowledge that part of America's blessing from God is in no doubt the result of America standing with Israel ever since she became a nation. The control of the land of Palestine or ancient Canaan, the promised land is the most volatile issue in the political debates around the world. Millions of people today on this planet and countries of this world, they want to see Israel either give up her land or they want to see Israel wiped off the face of the globe and to be non-existent. But if you do not know this by now, friend, you need to learn it today. This is so important. Many people wonder why Israel doesn't just let go of some of her land for the sake of peace. I tell you, she has done it. She has done it once. She has done it twice. She is doing it today. Now listen carefully. Israel did possess the Gaza, but they gave it back for peace. Do you realize that when Israel gave up the Gaza, that not only were Jews forced to move out of their homes, but those Arabs insisted upon digging up the graves of their dead bodies and taking them out of Gaza. So when you hear controversies around the world, why don't they just give up peace and why don't we all just want to sing kumbaya? Why don't we just want to hold hands, everybody get along and everybody just be happy? You know, Michael Jackson wrote the song, We Are the World. That's what this world wants to do. Just, we are the world. They just all want to get lovey-dovey, warm and fuzzy. But I'm telling you this, it's not going to happen. 
They have already given up land. And listen, that is what God rejecting people fail to realize. I want you to see something in Genesis 12, verse number 7. Look at it very carefully. You see, all the way back in this scripture, Genesis 12, 7, God decided to deed the land to her, and he does not intend on canceling it out. The Jews are in the land today to stay, and the Arabs want Israel to get out. They want land that does not belong to them. But let me show you where it all really started to happen. In Genesis 12, verse 7, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And the Bible says, And there he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. So I want us to look very carefully at this thing called Israel and Bible prophecy. And I want us to try to answer a question real quick today that most of you have thought about. But I can assure you that the answer to the question is just as confusing as the question itself. And that is this. I'm sure that there has been many people in this auditorium that has wondered this. Why did God choose the Jews to be his chosen people? Why did God do it? I want us to look at this. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Amos chapter 3. And I'm going to share with you, this is where we're really going to start using our Bible in the few minutes that we have left. Why did God choose the Jew to be his chosen people? Amos chapter 3 verse 2. I want you to see the significance of this. The prophet Amos, receiving the inspiration from the Holy Ghost, writes these words. God is talking now to the Hebrews. He is talking to the Jews. Amos 3 2. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Now you think about that. God is saying, you have been the one that I have known out of all of the families of the earth. Now, it seems to be a mystery. Why did God do it? Well, I believe the Bible is very clear and puts to rest why they or we think the reasons are that God chose them. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 7, and I want you to see this. And we're going to look, listen, we've got to move fast. I've got 11 minutes, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm in the introduction. I've got 10 sermons to preach, so got, you've got to turn fast. You say, well, I know why God chose them. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. But I'm going to show you the things that never entered God's process. Something that you might have said, well, I know why God chose them. God chose them because they were the leading population of his time or the times of the Bible. They, they were just so many people. God had no choice but by popular and public demand pick those people to be his chosen. Well, look at Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor chose you because you were more in number than any people, for ye were fewest of all people. Well, I know why. I know why he did it. God chose Israel because they were the people back then who were really seeking to know God. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah 45, and I want you to see this in verse number 4. 
Isaiah chapter 45, and notice with me in verse number 4. The Bible says this, For Jacob's my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. So God did not choose the Jew to be his chosen people because they were the greatest number of people. He did not choose the Jew to be his chosen people because they were the only ones or the more predominant ones who were truly seeking to know him. Now turn your Bibles back to Deuteronomy chapter 9. You're saying, I've looked at more scripture already than I have in 10 years. Shame on you. Get those pages unstuck. Come on now, I'm going to give you a break. Go ahead and do it. Lick your fingers, get them unstuck. Deuteronomy 9, look at verse number 6. But let me remind you of this. God did not choose the Jew because they were great in number. He did not choose them to be his chosen people because they were the ones seeking God. And God did not choose the Jew to be his chosen people because they were more righteous than anyone else. Deuteronomy 9, verse 6 and 7. Understand therefore that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness. For thou art a stiff-necked people. Remember and forget not how thou provokest the Lord thy God in the wilderness from the day that thou didst depart out of the land of Egypt until you came unto this place. Ye have been rebellious against the Lord. So he did not pick them because they were great in number. They were desiring to know him. Paul said that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. That was not the case of the Jews. And he did not pick them. He did not choose them because they were the ones who were more righteous than any. So when you go through the process, why did God pick the Jew to be his chosen people? It's not for any of the reasons that just jump off of the page of Scripture that we think provoked God to do that or promoted God to do it. Absolutely not. So we can only conclude that God chose Abraham and his descendants because of his own personal sovereign will. Isaiah chapter 43, write it down. You don't have time to turn. Listen to it. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed. And listen, this is good for our Muslim friends today. You'll get some of this next Sunday as well. Listen, God himself, Jehovah, Yahweh, Jehovah, Nisai. Listen, the, the Jehovah, Shalom, Jehovah, the one that healeth thee, the Jehovah of all time. God himself said this, that I am God, your Lord, he said, and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed. And this is what he also says. Neither shall there be after me. He is the only true God. Doesn't mean that there are not other gods in this world, but I guarantee you, God himself is the only God. You say, well, there are other gods. Listen, there are people bowing down to gods all over this country, all over this world. Some consider people to be rock stars, their God. 
Some consider money to be their God. Some consider material to be their God. Some consider their own intelligence to be their God. But how wrong that is, friend. God himself said, there is no other God before me and there shall be no other God after me. He said, I am God. Deuteronomy 14, write this verse down. You don't have time to turn to it. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. And the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all nations that are upon the face of the earth. Now, I want us to acknowledge God's covenant with Israel. Now, I do want you to go to Genesis 15, and I want you to see this in verse 18. Now, if you're getting tired of turning, just close your Bible and listen. If you're not getting tired of turning, then you, you got, you, we still got a long road to plow. I want you to know that God's, we have to acknowledge God's covenant with Israel. Not only why did God choose them, but we got to acknowledge his covenant. In Genesis 15, verse 18, the Bible says this. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying unto thy seed, Have I give this land from the river Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So I want you to understand something. When God said, listen, I'm going to make you a great person Abraham, and I'm going to bless them that bless you, and I'm going to curse those that curse you, and I'm going to give you this land. Listen, God wasn't just saying, you know, go out there and get you a few acres, buddy, and just uh, stake it off and tell, tell, tell Jacob and Isaac, you know, if you get a little section over here, and, you know, if y'all homestead over there, that'd be great. Y'all just get along with each other. That's, God didn't do that. God was very specific with the border stakes, north, south, east, and west, of the land that he himself deeded to the Jew. Very precise. It was an exact covenant. Now turn your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 47. I'm not going to read all these scriptures for you. I want you to highlight this so you can go back and read it at home. We have to move quickly. But in Ezekiel chapter 47... I want, you to, I want you to highlight something. In verse number 15, this is, and you go back later and read verses 13 through 23 on your own. But I want you to highlight in your Bible right now, verse 15, talking about the borders of the land. I want you to underline the word north side. Just underline the word north side. You go back and reread it, but underline north side. All right, then look at verse 18. I want you to underline the word east side. All right, then look at verse 19. I want you to underline the word south side. And then in verse number 20, I want you to underline the words west side. And then I want you to go home and reread it because here's my point. God was very clear in making the borders known. Not only to the Jew, but God has made them very clearly known to you and I as well today. What the borders of Israel are. But because of man-made controversies, Israel does not, nor has she ever fully possessed the land that God gave her. Here's what I want you to understand, that if Israel really possessed every square inch that God gave it, 
from the north to the south, from the east to the west, if Israel really took full possession of the entire promised land, the land of Canaan, it would mean that she would have to occupy not only what is known as Israel today, but she would have to occupy Lebanon, the west bank of Jordan, portions of Syria. She'd have to possess Iraq and Saudi Arabia. If Israel took full possession of all of her land, Israel would have so much greater territory today. But think about what would happen if Israel wanted to take back the bordered stakes that God himself deeded way back in Genesis. But friend, it is coming. It is coming. Not only was it an exact covenant, but this thing with the land and the promise, not only was it exact from north, south, east, and west, God spelled it out. Absolutely with no margin of error, but it was an everlasting covenant. In Genesis 17, notice this with me. In Genesis chapter 17, I want you to see verse 7 and 8. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and the generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land whereunto thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So listen carefully. The word everlasting in this passage is just like the word everlasting when it pertains to everlasting life. Israel is in the land to stay today. Now, why are they not in the land and fully occupying it all? Let me tell you, Jews are all over this world. They're, they're living in all other countries. There is, a, there is a vast majority of them returning to the homeland. Why were the Jewish people, if this was their land and God had chose them to be his people and he made it clear what their borders were, then why are they not in the land today? Why has there been such a dispersing of Jews all over the world? Removed from the land. I want you to see one scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I want you to notice this in verse 24 through 27. I don't have time to read all of them for you. But in Deuteronomy chapter 4, notice this in verse 24. The Bible says, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God, when thou shalt beget children and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves and make a graven image or likeness of anything, and shall do evil in thy sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger. Notice this. I will call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that ye shall soon utterly perish from off of the land whereunto you go over Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations. They were in the land. But God said, because of your rebellion, he said, I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to disperse you all over the world. Now, there are several other scriptures. Just write this down. Don't turn. We don't have time. Ezekiel 12, 15. Ezekiel 12, 15. And then write this verse down. Hosea 9, 17. 
Hosea 9, 17. Listen to this one. Israel failed to heed God's warning. God scattered them for 1,900 years. And you see, this was also a fulfillment of his prophecy. God said, there is not only going to be a scattering of the Jew. He said, but I'm going to make the Jew suffer under like no other people who has ever suffered before. Now, friend, do you understand that has happened to the Jew? They have suffered like no one else. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 28, verse 65, very quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 65. Now listen to this verse. The Bible says, And among the nations shalt thou find no ease, neither shall thy soul of thy foot have rest, but the Lord shall give thee a trembling heart and failing eyes and sorrow of mind. And you might have wondered why the Jewish people have suffered so much from the hand of the Egyptians and the Philistines and the Syrians and the Arabs and Stalin and Hitler and Iran. Listen, it's because of their rebellion against God. God gave them the land. They possessed the land, but then they got into a rebellious state. God dispersed them. And in that disbursement, God said, listen, you're not only going to be scattered, he said, but I'm going to make you suffer for all that you have done wickedly before my eyes. And friend, that was a prophecy every one of us know that was fulfilled. When the Lord wants to teach us a lesson, whether it be the Jew or the Greek, Friend, I'm telling you right now, he knows how to do it. Some of us might be living under the hand of chastisement today, and there's only one reason that you can ever escape that, and that is to repent. Before World War II in 1933, there were 9 million Jews who lived in 21 European countries. By 1945, two out of every three European Jews had been murdered. After the Holocaust, a third of the entire Jewish population had been wiped out. That, my friend, is a great example of a suffering prophecy fulfilled. God did not shirk at his word. But listen, God, God made a covenant. He said, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to be precise at what it is. And this is why I've chosen you. I didn't choose you for all those reasons. This is why I chose you to be witnesses, a peculiar people. God said, I'm not only going to give you this land, I'm not only going to choose you to be my people whom I've loved above all the families of the earth. He said, now you're coming into a state of rebellion and because of that rebellion, I'm going to disperse you all over the world and I'm going to make you suffer. But God said, after the suffering, God said, I'm going to regather you. And that's the prophecy that took place in our lifetime. What an incredible act of love that is. Listen, nowhere on the face of this earth can you find the ancient neighbors of Israel. Have you ever thought about that? Where are the Moabites today? Where are the Hittites? Where are the Amorites? Where are the Edomites? Where are the Philistines? All of these people have disappeared from the face of the earth. And friend, it's because this is God's eternal plan that he has said he would preserve and he would regather and restructure his people. And just as God promised it, folks, we're seeing it happen right before our very eyes. But he also said this, not only am I going to give you this land, not only am I going to choose you above all the families of this world said I'm going to give you this land from north south east and west you're going to possess it you're going to rebel I'm going to disperse you 
I'm going to make you suffer. But God said, at the end of the suffering, I'm going to bring you back. Notice this in Ezekiel 36. He said, you're going to return to me. In Ezekiel 36, verse number 24. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you, gather you out of all countries. You see, right now, they've been 1,900 years living as refugees. But God says this, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of the countries, all countries, And today, Russian Jews, Ethiopian Jews, Jews all around the world are going back to Israel by the hundreds of thousands every year. He said, and will bring you into your own land. You're seeing that happen today. This is a prophet prophesied the coming of the Lord, the judgment of the Lord, the regathering of the nation of Israel. And you're seeing it happen today in your lifetime. What Ezekiel prophesied hundreds and thousands of years ago. Now, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall find, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. And notice this, and a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you a heart Uh, and heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you shall be or you shall keep my judgments and do them friend this assures us that we are living in the final days we read a scripture a few moments ago Uh, let me ask you to turn to it again if you will Luke 21 you all know where Luke is Matthew Mark Hezekiah and Luke Matthew, Mark, Luke. Now I want you to see this. Luke 21, 28. Look at it very carefully. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. Lift up your heads for your redemption. Draw it nigh. God's put signs to alert the children of God that the end of this world and its order is coming to a close and Israel is sitting on center stage. We might not know what tomorrow holds, but thank God we know who holds tomorrow. And let me ask you this, everything is quickly escalating right now before our eyes with the world economy, with the problems in Israel, Iran and Iraq, the wars and rumors of wars, everything is escalating right now quickly before our eyes. You see, to come is the rapture, the judgment seat of Christ, the seven years of tribulation, the revelation, Armageddon. All of those things have been prophesied. They will come to pass. As all of these prophecies that have already been fulfilled, all of these others will come to pass too. And God fulfilled his prophecy to regather the nation of Israel and to put them back in their land. One of the great signs of the times is the restoration of Israel and the control of Jerusalem by his people. The world we live in today, friend, is more perilous with every single passing day. 
My question to you is this. Do you realize that out of all the prophecies that are pertaining to the second coming of Christ, do you understand that there is no prophecy pertaining to that that has not yet been fulfilled? Everything that the prophets said would have to take place before he came. And even what Jesus himself said, many shall come in that day saying that I am Christ. There shall be wars and rumors of wars. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes. We're seeing earthquakes take place today in places that we never dreamed an earthquake could happen. Tsunamis, the flooding. Listen, all of these things are pieces of the puzzle. Jesus said, when you see all of these things come to pass, he said, listen, the end is not yet. This is the beginning of sorrows. You need to understand we are in the beginning of the ending. And my question to you is this. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? If you've never trusted the Lord Jesus, do you fully understand this this morning that in a twinkling of an eye, the trump of God could sound today? There is nothing preventing him from returning this moment. Every prophecy that had to be fulfilled prior to his second coming, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, listen, Nothing else needs to be fulfilled prior to his coming. Now, there are prophecies yet to be fulfilled after his coming. We'll discuss them in the Revelation. But my question to you is this. If Jesus were to come today, are you ready? Because when the trumpet sounds, not one person who has ever heard a clear presentation of the gospel is going to be able to be pulled aside from all of the havoc and commotion and turmoil and say, you know, everybody's going up. You, you, you need to get it straight. You're about ready to go. Get, work it out. Friend, when the trumpet sounds and you've heard a clear presentation of the gospel, it's a done deal. You see, where we spend eternity is not decided on the sunny banks of glory. Where we spend eternity, we decide in this life in places just like this in a church house with a gospel preacher with an invitation. If you don't know Jesus, I invite you to trust Him today. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Ye must be born again. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.